What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, folks. Uh, this week, we have a lovely conversation with Kelly Moore. She is the co-founder and CEO of Soulfire Productions, which is a podcast production company. Uh, they do a lot of really interesting, cool work for us podcast nerds. Um, but she's also the co-host of OK Babe, which is the podcast that she uh, that she co-hosts with her hubby. Um, and also, uh, she's a new mother. So congratulations, Kelly. Uh, Brody and I chat with Kelly about IVF, uh, very interesting stuff, creating safe spaces for non-judgment. And, uh, of course we dive into the Madonna whore complex. So tune in if you want to hear about all that. We hope you enjoy it and, uh, we will see you all on the other side. Well, this is gonna be this is gonna be really fun. We're hanging out with Kelly Kelly Moore, um, the CEO and co-founder of Soulfire Productions. Can't wait to get into that. Uh, the co-host of OK Babe, another Want relationships to hear more podcast. About that for sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and also a brand new mom <laughs> of only ten. We- Did you say ten weeks? Ten weeks, yes. <laughs> Holy shit! Congratulations. 
Um, Thank you. Which uh, one of those three things is your favorite? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Mom Life Forever is my favorite thing of all time. <laughs> oh. I mean, I, I hope it's okay to ask this, but like, how was the, how was, how was your, look, you know what? This is why I'm asking. I'm going to ask this question because I've never, I'm 35, uh, I'm 35. Am I 35? You were born in 88. 35. Yeah. 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 Sweet. Nice. Fucking adult goals. Let's do it. I'm 35. <laughs> and, uh, up until 35, I've never wanted a child. But then all of a sudden, my fucking brain got scrambled like the day I turned 35. And now I'm, I'm like, all I can think about is like maybe having a kid and like hopefully soon. Mm. Which, is, which gives me like low-key anxiety because my, my, my best friend, my business partner, uh, Taylor, he just had a baby. And like watching him go through it, I mean, it's so beautiful, but also so like... Oh my God. Like it's, a, it, you know, it's just a wild thing to see. Um, and they, they went through IVF and it was like a whole thing. And for reasons I won't get into, I have to go through IVF if I, if I choose to go down that route. Um, we did IVF. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Can we talk about IVF for a minute? I'm happy to talk about it. Fuck yeah. It's the, right. worst, it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> I, so I, okay. I haven't heard good things. Really? Um, what was, like, did you, was this, was this the first attempt or like how, what was your IVF like journey if you will? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't say this to like scare you or freak mm, people no, out, no. but I, I just don't think people are honest enough about this shit and it drives me up the fucking wall mm -hmm. and I don't feel as, as resourced and educated and prepared as I was. I did not feel prepared at all. Once we got into it, I was like, wow, this is just a lot to handle. Um, so we did IVF because my husband was born without vast deference, which is the tube that brings the sperm so that you can get pregnant. Is that what you have? Yo, that's what's going that's on with me. Up. I got no really? vast deference. Do you know how rare that is? Well, so it's not so rare for me because I have cystic fibrosis. So, okay, so, yes. so the reason why I don't have a vas deferens is because of my CF, which is 98% of the males with CF are born without a vas deferens. So Correct. like it, I'm, I get that it's rare, but like for mm -hmm. us sick folk, it's, it's like, man, well, that's just how we, that's just how we were formed. Um, right. But that it's kind of, that's a trippy thing to like, to not, how old, how long was it until your husband found out that he didn't have a vas deferens? He found out at 27 Okay, um, wow. because wow. he was, this is in his words, by the way, not mine. He said, I was shooting small loads and I knew <laughs> that I had been really stupid enough times. I should have gotten somebody pregnant by this yeah. point. Yeah. So he went to the doctor and the doctor's like, this is correct. <laughs> like, wow. you don't have this thing. Yeah. So he found out at 27. So I knew when we met that we were going to have to do some sort of fer fertility treatment. Right. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, so we, um, so I, I was fertile. I am fertile. I had been pregnant before. So in our case, it's a lot easier, um, usually than if the woman is dealing with fertility issues, um, which well, that's is good to know. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. For us, it, you know, was really good for a lot of people. Obviously that's super unfortunate, but we were able to get pregnant on our first round, which thank God, because I mean, everything leading up to it, especially for the woman, the man, it's like, they're going to go in, they're going to take a needle. They're going to suck some sperm out of your balls and like call it a day. Um, and so you're going to have some bruising. He had like, um, Connor had a perfect purple bruise line up the back of his dick. He was, he like li <laughs> lifted it up one day. It was like sore. And he was like, Oh my God, look at this. And it was a perfect line. It's like a new vein. Yeah. <laughs> or like yeah. those lines so down the, the backs of the, the tights. Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was like the extent, um, for him. And for me though, it was, 
They put me on birth control, all of these different hormones. I wanted to jump off a bridge. Um, it was just really, really dark before I even did my egg retrieval. Then I did the egg retrieval. Luckily, we got a ton of eggs, a ton of sperm. We had plenty of um, plenty of embryos that were created. Um, but the the hormone experience for me was just so dark. And what I've learned in talking to more women is they they mimicked my experience. It's very common to feel extremely depressed, suicidal, not be attracted to your partner, question your entire life. Like I kept thinking, I want a divorce. I don't even know why I'm with this guy. I don't think I want kids. Like it just totally rocks everything about you, everything you believe. And so it was really hard. I mean, we were fighting all the time. We weren't having sex. It's not a sexy time. So our relationship was suffering. And, um, you know, my body was just going through a lot of changes and things. And then we went into um, our transfer, which luckily was successful. But with IVF, you have to stay on the hormones until you're 10 weeks pregnant to keep the pregnancy because you're basically tricking your body. So I'm dealing with pregnancy hormones. Yay. Also all of these other hormones, I've already been put into early menopause because they want to tank you so that then you can have spikes in your hormones. It was so difficult and so intense. And I just, I don't wish it on anybody. It's, yeah. it's not fun. Yeah. I mean, like watching my friend Taylor and his partner Kylie go through it. I mean, you know, I was on the sidelines, but like every, every other day, like Taylor would come in and he would just tell me like what they're, what they're going through. And they they didn't have like an a necessarily like super hard time with it. They got they 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 tried once. Kylie got pregnant, but like you say, you know, th- even though even though it happened that one time that you try, for a lot of people that's not the case, you know. And financially, that's a whole fucking other yeah. discussion. But like for them, it happened the first time. But everything leading up to that moment where the baby comes out and the baby's happy and healthy, it's a it seemed like a lot of fucking legwork, a lot of like ups and downs. And, um, that's, that's like the one, that's still the one thing that like, I'm trying that, that I unfortunately am not thinking about enough mm-hmm. like to prep myself for because I'm, I'm because Instagram just decided that my fucking algorithm is just like, show them the cute baby shit, show them the cute baby shit. And now all I'm doing is like, oh, I want one. Like, I want one of those. Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say, though, is, I mean, I have a 10 week old daughter now. She is amazing and beautiful and so cute and so fun. And it's so worth it. And yeah. we're going to do it again. You know, okay. and that's the go. fucking crazy thing. It's like we're going <laughs> to opt into this again in a couple of years. I think the most important thing for you is to just be aware and really supportive for your partner and to know that it's going to be the, you know, ups and downs. And to just, I think the thing that what was really important for us once we sort of started to figure out how bad it was and that we needed to, you know, change course a little bit is like create a safe space for dialogue and sharing without judgment, Mm. because neither of us felt like we could share And it wasn't until we were in this really huge fight and Connor, and we had gotten married shortly before starting IVF, like two months before. And we were in the gym, like screaming at each other. And he just looked at me. He's like, I don't know where my wife went. And I don't know if she's coming back. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know where your wife went either. And it was like this, oh, like we're both not saying the thing. And we needed a safe space to just say the thing and not judge each other for the fear and the discomfort and the confusion of it all. And so I think my advice to people is always just create a safe space and know that it's going to pass. Just because I'm being a psycho hormonal bitch doesn't mean that's just going to be who I am forever, right? Like 
this is a chapter of your life and you're opting into this so that you can have this amazing thing and experience. Um, and no, it's not easy, but it's 100% worth it once that baby comes out. Mm. For you is, is creating, cause I, I hear that creating a safe space for, for conversation without judgment. Is that like literally this is the place that we will go when it's time to have honest and frank conversations? Or is that more of a spaceless, like when people talk about creating a safe space, I know my friend is like, we know that when we sit down at the kitchen table, that's Mm. our safe space to have those Mm -hmm. conversations. Interesting. Is this a physical space that you're talking about? Or is this, is this something that is just verbal and it's agreed upon no matter where you are with your partner? Yeah. I mean, I think that actual physical spaces can be great for people. That's not really how we do it. Um, when I say create a safe space, I think it's, um, it's like a a commitment to emotionally showing up and being present and willing to receive, um, for on both ends. So when we are going to have a vulnerable, difficult conversation, it's like, Hey, I need to share this thing with you. Um, are you available for it? Is it okay if I talk to you about this? I'm having a really hard time. And also sometimes I throw in a caveat like, Hey, this isn't about you. I just need to bring this forward because I'm really struggling. And when we do that and we sort of prepare the other person and see, okay, where are you? Are you available for this? And he's like, no, I'm not available for this right now. Like I'm in the middle of something. Then we find a time later in the day where we can show up for each other in that way. But I think for us, it's like this verbal, emotional, commitment and are you willing to step into this right now or not it's mm. a great answer yeah and and you know one of those things that's like important to remember even though we're right now we're specifically talking about like the hormonal ups and downs of ivf and pregnancy this like this this really relates to any relationship with any issue that arises at any point you know having that ability to step in what the fuck's the deal with that like why why are we why do we find it so hard i I, i'm not gonna speak for you but i i assume you're kind of on the same page here where like when there's an issue what's the deal with us just like just bottling it in and just waiting for our partner to like figure it the fuck out before like with uh, uh, without saying anything Mm -hmm. just expecting them to like read the room and get it why the fuck do we do that? Why are we do? Why are we still doing that? I think, well, it, when you were talking about safe space and like even initiating that part of the conversation can be, mm. can give, I think maybe not everybody, but for someone like myself who like a little bit, probably more prone to not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to create or invite conflict to even say like, there's something that I want to talk to you about is like, I, in my mind, want to perceive that my partner is ready for me to talk to about them about that before I even say, uh, I'd like to, t- to talk to you about something. Cause, cause I know as soon as I say that my partner is probably going to go white as a ghost and be like, what's wrong, mm-hmm. what's going on. And one thing that you just said, um, Kelly, that I really liked was like the consent part of like, are you, are you able to receive this right now? Because there have definitely been moments where I've been asked that and I'm like, nope, not a good time and gotten it anyway. And it's like, and it results in a conflict. And it's like, I told you, I, I gave you that warning ahead of time that this was not a good time because I'm not feeling resourced. I'm not feeling strong. 
I'm not feeling ready to not take things personally. So, you know, but though we're not practiced in those kinds of exchanges of like, this could create negative feelings for you. Mm. And it is already, it's, it's already creating negative feelings for me. Yeah. I think that, I mean, there's so much in there, right? I think we are not taught to take responsibility for our emotions and our experiences and our stories and our patterns and all of those things. So we then go into conversation and if it is going to be something that feels like maybe a conflict or a difficult, challenging thing, we end up just word vomiting and projecting and not taking the other person into consideration. And then we're like, well, fuck you. You didn't listen to me and I don't feel heard now. And it's like, well, did you take responsibility for how you showed up to the conversation? I think if more of us take responsibility for our own stuff and then walk in and are considerate of someone else, maybe not being in the same place as us, and asking and getting that consent and saying, where are you? Are you available for this? Then we wouldn't have these big blowups. But then I think the other part of that is that we are all conditioned to love drama and chaos and we thrive on it. So then it's Ooh. actually, it, we create these dynamics where there's drama and chaos in the conversation and we bring it, but we don't even take responsibility for being the one to bring it. And it's like, it's just this really terrible cycle I think if we take a step back and say, okay, what am I dealing with? Am I about to project this onto my partner or my friend or whoever? Why is this coming forward? What is, what is it that I need right now? Do I need to feel seen or heard? Do I need a response back? Do I need advice? Like, what is it I need? Something Connor and I do really well is we, we try to, as much as we can, tell the other person what we need. I say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I just need to get it out. Can you just listen to me? And if he comes to me with something... I will ask him after he has word vomited for 20 minutes about whatever the fuck it is. I say, do you want my advice or do you just want me to listen? And he'll tell me if he doesn't want my advice, I'm not giving him unsolicited advice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we just, we're not good at conversing and having that back and forth and asking for what we not, what we want, stating what we need, and then respecting what the other person wants. We're all adults but we also treat each other like little kids and don't respect each other. What do you expect to happen? When you guys had that like blowout and that realization in the, in the gym, in that moment, do you feel like it, it, do you feel like that, that massive realization that both of you had in that moment was the thing that led you down the road of, of like all of a sudden we understand each other. All of a sudden we're now like hearing each other, seeing each other, and like things kind of smoothed out from then forward? Yeah, it got a lot better. I mean, mm. it definitely didn't fix everything, but it was a huge turning point in our experience because we both just realized that we were both hiding our fears and not sharing what was coming up. And we actually were sharing a lot of the same fears. Mm. And from that moment on, I think we were a lot more honest with each other. We had a lot more compassion and we were better at communicating what was going on within each of us. Mm. And... So it just felt like we put all of our cards on the table after that and we're a lot more supportive of one another. And it doesn't mean we didn't have fights and things weren't hard after that, but I think we were just a lot more self-aware and also aware that, oh, you're struggling too, because I was, I was struggling more than he was because I was the one on hormones. I was the mm. one physically going through things. I was the one being pregnant, all this stuff. And so I ended up being really selfish, which 
I think in hindsight is fair because I kind of needed to, I am the vessel for this whole thing. But at the same point, I wasn't considering that my husband is really struggling because he doesn't have me. I am sort of the rock and the groundedness of our family. And he's sort of like all over the place and just wanders and that's his personality. And so all of a sudden he didn't have that to ground him. And so our whole relationship was flipped upside down. The whole dynamic was no longer stable. It wasn't what it was. And neither of us knew how to operate in that. And I think we just really found a way to communicate better after that because we were just honest. Mm. Was just, just for my own sort of um, kind of like timeline here, was this, was this throughout the like throughout the majority of the process of like the, of the nine months or was this the was this kind of happening during the the really intense period of time of IVF where it's like you're getting the you know you're where, where the where you're trying to to actually get the the sort of check mark of yes you are now pregnant you know like the injections the the all that shit that that comes with IVF. Yeah. So we started the process December 1st of 2021. And I would say it was really rough until somewhere in my second trimester. So July, um, because even the months between the egg retrieval, which was in January to the transfer, which was the beginning of April, I was still on the hormones. They were still in my body. And I had to start the hormones again before the transfer seven or eight weeks. So you're just the whole time you're just on hormones and you're just all over the place. It's making me wonder what, like, um, it was interesting. You mentioned that they put you on birth control, which is like, seems really counterintuitive, (laughs) but I understand. Yeah. It's about the hormones, but there are people out there living their lives whether it's menopause or whether it's they're on birth control and they're they're being hormonally supplemented all the time and i it's been many years since i was on birth control pills but i the impetus for getting off of them was mood swings and i had been on on probably birth control at that point for like 6 years or something i was probably 23 when i came off of it and opted for the non-hormonal IUD, which was not effective for me either. Just kind of fell out of place and had to be removed. Um, but what, as, as a woman, what has that process kind of taught you about being in a woman's body, understanding the effects of hormones on mood and state of mind? Like, did that light any sort of, cause you're, we're going to hopefully talk about your work and all of that kind of stuff soon. But, um, has that lit any sort of fire under you for advocacy for women's health and all of the things that they do to us to get us to produce babies and yeah. live and all those kind of things? Yeah. It's a huge part of what I do. And it's been a huge part of what I've done for the last five years. Um, when I started my my podcast five years ago, I had come out of a TV career. I had had autoimmune disease, chronic illness for 15 years. Um, I learned a lot about birth control and hormones and toxins and all the chemicals and everything. My whole show was about this okay. um, because I figured out how to heal and what type of doctors 
to work with and how to be properly diagnosed because I was misdiagnosed for 14 of those years. Mm. Um, and so everything was about that. And I have continued to advocate since then. And it's so interesting because I'd sort of gotten away from it because I talked about it for so long. I started talking about sexuality and personal development, all these other things. And then when I started IVF and they put me on the birth control, I hadn't been on birth control for, you know, six or seven years. And I, same thing, had the copper IUD at the very end, had to get it taken out four months after I had it put in because it brought all of my chronic illness symptoms back overnight. Like I couldn't see, I was in extreme pain. I had chronic inflammation and the doctors kept saying, no, it's not that, that can't possibly happen. And then I found all these forums where women were saying I was fine. And then I got the copper IUD and my whole life was wrecked again. So I got that shit taken out. And the next day I started to be like, see my symptoms dissipate. And I was like, yeah, I know. Um, And so when I started the birth control, I I didn't ask enough questions to my doctor because I should have said, I don't want to take this. Why am I taking this? But I just did it because you're in a place of, I just really want a baby. So I'll do whatever the fuck you want me to. So I took it. And within five days, I turned into like a depressed, crazy mood swings, awful person. And I was so upset. And I posted a video on Instagram, probably 10 minutes long about birth control and what it does to your body. And this is why I fucking hate it. And why are we doing this? And why aren't we asking better questions? And there are other ways to track your cycle. And why am I having to take this when I am fertile I understand I'm doing IVF, but I don't understand why I'm having to do this thing. And I ended up calling the nurse because I was suicidal. And I said, I am taking this birth control and it's making me suicidal. And she talks to the doctor and the doctor's like, okay, well, you only have a couple more days, then you'll be off of it. You don't have to take it the next time because you're supposed to take it before the transfer as well. So I didn't need to take it. And all I had to say was, I don't do well with birth control. Is there another option? But I didn't do that. And I think that's a huge part of why I talk about this so much. And I I just really want women to understand you can ask better questions and you can advocate for yourself and you don't have to do things just because the doctor says you do. Mm. Like We have to be better advocates for ourselves and say no when it's not okay. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's like, how do you even know what you can say no to? Right. You look at a doctor and you're like, you hold the key to mm-hmm. the thing that I want. Yeah. And yet... He was like, as soon as he knew that, he was like, oh, okay, well, you don't have to do that again Mm -hmm. next time. Like, excuse me? Where's the manual for, like, where are the resources you said? You were not prepared when you went into it. Like, I mean, that's that's the that's the entire point of like the, you know, the importance of of advocacy. Whether and and for a lot of people they can't advocate for themselves. Well, wouldn't you know, even they, know being, that they could. The, the, being a self-advocate is fucking tough. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. That's you know, having someone to advocate for you on your behalf. I mean, for me, that was my mother for mm-hmm. so many years and she was fucking still to this day, she's so good at it. You know? She was also a nurse, so she knows the system. She knows too. her shit. Yeah. She knows her shit. That's why I mean that's why I'm with a nurse. That's why I'm, that's why my partner is a nurse. I gotta stick with it. I gotta have. I gotta get that advocacy. Um, but it is. It is. It's one of those things that, like, I mean, this is something I've been preaching for for years and years. It's like get to know what it feels like to self advocate to advocate for yourself. I mean, yeah. it's 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 so vitally important. And you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what you can how much power push you push for, and how yes, you'd be surprised at what a doctor will 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 say. Oh, I understand. Okay, now that you've given me this information, let's let's look at the drawing board again and and take a you know a different route or whatever. Um, you know what I think a huge part of the problem though is like we have found it that it's so much easier to just say okay and nod. Yes, be like yeah. oh, okay. I had to. It was a full time fucking job to figure out how to heal from chronic illness. I mm-hmm. I was nineteen when I was. I first got really sick. I was in college. I was one of the best volleyball players in the country, the captain of my team. We were a final four volleyball team at USC. And one day I woke up and I couldn't stand up straight. My left leg was dragging. I was in pain head to toe. I couldn't see straight. I was depressed. I'm like, how do you go from being in the best shape of your life at 19 to that? Mm. Doctors, no clue what was going on. Made me end my career. It was like, well, sorry, you can't play anymore. You can't even walk. I had to give up my scholarship put me on all these drugs. So from 19 to 21, I'm just like taking all this medication, totally no clue what's going on, just numbing myself out. I'm hallucinating. I'm drinking and partying because I'm so depressed that I've had to like give up my whole life while taking all these drugs, feeling suicidal. I finally wake up one day at 21. I'm like, I can't live like this anymore. This doesn't even make sense. So I go cold turkey off all of these medications. And from 21 until about 27, I'm just doing research. It was a full-time job in my 20s trying to figure out how to understand what's happening with my body and what's wrong. Reading books, late nights in forums, emailing random fucking influencers who have access to so-and-so. And it wasn't until I listened to a freaking podcast that I heard this girl talking about her doctor who they also happened to be in LA and I was in LA at the time. And she said, I was having all these issues. I went and saw a functional medicine doctor and he diagnosed me with XYZ and he did all these specific tests. And that's how I figured out what was wrong with me. And now my life is forever changed. I went and saw that freaking doctor. He did the same thing for me and my life was forever changed. But it's like, it takes so much effort and time. And I could have just sat there and said, yeah, okay, I'll just take all these drugs for the rest of my life. Like this is, this is the hand I was dealt. 
And that's what most people do because we're just not taught anything different. And that's why podcasts like this, this is why I have a podcast is why I have a production company talking about these things. Most of our hosts do this kind of work is because I believe in having these conversations and resourcing people and showing them what's possible and thinking outside the box. Because without this space, without these conversations, most people will never know. Absolutely not. You would never think that you could challenge a doctor. Yeah, yeah. What and what were you, what was the what was the final diagnosis? What did you end up like? What did you end up finally realizing that you had? Yeah. So my original was fibromyalgia. Okay. My final diagnosis was I had chronic Epstein Barr virus that was active in my system for fifteen years. So oh. most people have Epstein Barr, like ninety five percent of the world, but it's dormant. Mine was active. So it was also causing leaky gut, SIBO, chronic fatigue syndrome. And I also have the MTHFR genetic mutation. And so all of that was causing my symptoms along with, I worked in a very toxic environment and I had a lot of different trauma and things that I had gone through that I haven't dealt with. Um, And so my functional medicine doctor, like the first thing was like, you cannot keep working at this job and you need to stop being in these relationships and you need to start healing and go to therapy. And we're also going to do a stool test and make you pee and do all the blood work and change the way you're eating and get rid of all these toxic products you're putting on your body. And so it was just this huge upheaval of every part of my life. But all of it at the end of the day was just toxic and making me sick from the inside out. Holy shit. Holy shit. That's I it's like, you know, after getting a diagnosis like that, um, Sorry, and, and we don't have to like go down this. I feel like we're, I feel like Jeremy we're just sliding into my other podcast. <laughs> um, but but I'm just so fucking curious. Um, like, is it what what do you have to see a rheumatologist? Like, what what is the what's the uh, specialty physician that you're like seeing for that? And and what kind of treatment does that look like? I mean, that seems it sounds it sounds intensive. It sounds really intense. Mm-hmm. So the rheumatologist is the one who improperly diagnosed me or misdiagnosed me. Okay, because got you. Rheumatologists don't get to the core issue. They do. It's very surface level. They don't even, they never even tested me for Epstein-Barr, which is really fucking stupid because I had mono for eight months, my freshman year of college. A year before this, I had mono. Epstein-Barr is mono. They never thought like, oh, let's see if this is active in her body. It was like, no, you have pain points here, here, and here. Oh, you have fibromyalgia. Here's an antidepressant and all these painkillers and muscle relaxers go on your merry way. Your life is over. That's literally what he said. He's like, you won't play ever again. Like, congratulations. And so that's what the rheumatologist did. The functional medicine doctor is the one who diagnosed me properly, as well as my Ayurvedic practitioner that I worked with in LA. Um, And so the whole process is honestly just getting all the toxins out of your body. So Um, you're doing a lot of cleansing. You're doing a lot of special diets. I did the autoimmune protocol, which is a very strict diet that basically takes all of the inflammation out of your body. Um, it, it heals the leaky gut, leaky gut for people who don't know is basically holes in your stomach and you have to heal them because otherwise you have this shit seeping into your body out of your stomach and that's causing systemic inflammation. Um, SIBO, which is, I don't know how you would like medically describe it, but it's basically like your stomach is huge. Your, your, um, what's the word? Not swollen, but, um, your stomach's distended. That's okay. the word I'm looking for. Bloated. 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 Yeah, that bloated. works. Yeah. So you're super bloated and you have to have a special diet for that. It's called FODMAP diet. 
um, which basically takes all the um, all the triggers for SIBO out. And you also have to take antibiotics. It's really the only way to get rid of it. But once you heal those things, then your body is healing all of the systemic inflammation and that's no longer an issue. This takes a while. It took me a year and a half. Um, Some people are different. Some, you know, I went (laughs) very all in, I'm very black or white and extreme. So I was like, you tell me to do these things. I'm doing all of it right now. I got rid of all the toxic products in my house. Um, I went and saw a shaman. I did ayahuasca. I did combo. I started, you know, working with mushrooms. I went to therapy. Like I did everything possible to get the toxins out of my body. I quit my job. I quit my career 15 years as a TV host because it was toxic and I was sexually assaulted. And that was part of my trauma and the way my body was responding. And I just, I got rid of it. Um, so that's, that's how I dealt with it. Holy shit. That's so, it's so, uh, I'm, I, another perfect example of like the importance of self-advocacy right like mm-hmm. all of that all of that is a part of that all of that is like good self-advocacy for your own health um so kudos to you that's that's really Thank you. really fucking amazing and what an incredible time to be able to like find that lead buried in a forum on the internet because Ooh. we have to do our own research because there isn't enough research especially on women's health and it's so much simpler mm-hmm. for a healthcare professional to just throw a diagnosis like fibromyalgia at you and, and just be like, and see you later. I mean, that's the, that's the other thing too. Like, I think people, people, I think a lot of people like fail to recognize that like your doctors are, I think a lot of people look at physicians the way that I looked at my dad when I was five. You know, I looked at my dad when I was five as if, as like the guy who fucking knew everything. And he was like all seeing and all knowing and like he was just he he was like he was a, he was he was on a pedestal and we and we for some silly reason like seem to do that with physicians we fail to recognize that like physicians are fucking they're people they're not they're not they're not they're not sentient ai that just knows everything and can just like spit everything out perfectly yeah they make mistakes they don't know they don't know everything that's why they're you know even the specialists don't know everything under their specialty um and and medicine is fucking tricky. Medicine is confusing. Medicine is is muddy. Evolving. It's, it's constantly shifting. It's constantly evolving. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, your doctor's not your dad when you're five. <laughs> yeah. And to that point, I think what I never understood, and I think it's important for people to know, is that the books that doctors are learning from are 30 years old. They are not up to date because it takes a really long time for research and trials and all this stuff to then turn into a book, to then get published, to then Mm -hmm. have all these studies, a part of it. So you have to remember that they're learning from things 30 years ago. So if they're not doing continuing education, which is what my functional medicine doctor does, he like flies to Germany and works with the leading edge doctors and learns all the new stuff. So he knows how to do all the other things, but he also knows what is the newest best way to cure Lyme disease or to deal with Epstein-Barr virus. And most doctors aren't doing that. And so they're just going by the textbook and that's it. They don't know how to ask questions. And they also have big pharma in their back pocket telling them what to do and how to diagnose people and what drugs to give. So if that's what you're dealing with, if you don't advocate for yourself, then that's the kind of care you're going to get. You So within all of that, you had mentioned how, you know, you left your job, you started your own company, Soul Fire Productions, which is a... uh, a uh, podcast production company, is it not? Or mm-hmm. a, sorry, a podcast network, I should say. 
Yeah. Um, you've guys got a fucking full catalog of shows. You've got your own show on there. Uh, okay, babe. Mm-hmm. I'd love to, I'd love to hear about, okay, babe. What's the, like, what was the impetus for it? How does it work? I, I believe it's you and your, your husband, Connor. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. What's what's that like? Yeah. Oh, you know, working with your husband is super fun all the time. There's never (laughs) fights right before a show. Um, The other day we were fighting before a show again, and we were were bringing the podcast back because we took a break because of IVF and all the things. And uh, I'm like, we're literally fighting before the show again. Like, what? Why do we do this? (laughs) Like, what is this? I think it's um, sometimes it's it brings up therapy conversation because we're just having really honest conversation about what's happening in our lives and how we're feeling and, you know, things that we're butting up against and whatnot. But really, the show started because we are in a monogamous relationship. And so we felt like as we were exploring our sexuality and, uh, you know, a different type of relationship that we also wanted to share that with other people because we saw how different experience that, experiences that we had were really beneficial for us, even though they were extremely hard and challenging. We wanted people to know that you don't have to necessarily have a traditional relationship if you don't want to. And so we've talked a lot about my sexuality and my connection with women and threesomes that we've had. And um, we've talked a lot about psychedelics and plant medicine and, um, you know, just the different ways we communicate and handle hard situations um, and how we've grown and evolved over time. And so now the show is definitely moving in the direction of like poopy diapers and (laughs) how do you be a parent and also explore your sexuality and Mm -hmm. um, still feel sexy and keep things, you know, spicy when there's a baby crying and and all that kind of stuff. So it's been really fun. It's also, you know, we're just telling the whole world about how I love anal sex. And, you know, sometimes that's a little awkward, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I know all about that. Uh, But it is, it is, it's a, it is a like bizarre and funny and weird life to live when you, um, when you choose to like make that your life where you choose to like, like take on a project where you are so, so much, so much like an open book to the entire world and your shit's just out there. And have you like, did the two of you, because I know you and I've had conversations about this at length, but like, did the two of you, you know, in the midst of doing all this and putting all this out there to the world, have you guys had conversations about like the parts of yourselves that you, um, that you wish to like keep to yourself mm-hmm. and, and like, you know, like, like the privacy part, like, are there, are there elements where you go, we're not, we actually don't go down that road because we want to keep that for us. That, that is a, that's like our our little like you know what's the word i'm looking for here like our like some some like, some element of sacred that you just you keep to yourself and not put out to the world yeah yeah i mean we never sat down and said like we will share this and we won't share that we have the conversation ongoing so if something right. happens and we're like oh my god we have to talk about this on okay babe this is so good then right. we will but there are oftentimes something happened where we would say, Oh yeah, we really want to talk about that. That would be great for the show where we're like, this doesn't go on the show. This is for us. And, you know, I think a lot of that was our pregnancy journey and a lot of things that happened within that, um, and the birth and, you know, that felt really sacred. I didn't want people to know when she was due. I didn't want people, you know, to know certain intimate details. We didn't say anything that we were even about to start IVF because I just, I really, I knew it was going to be a struggle. Um, 
And I really wanted to not have the entire world watching us. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then I think that we've had certain situations with people, whether it's a threesome or things that we have tried that have not gone well. Um, and it's just something that we don't want to share. And it doesn't mean that we only want people to hear about like the cool moments, you know, the first time I went down a girl and I was like, oh my God, I love this or whatever. It's sometimes things don't go well and you learn lessons and you have things within a relationship and it's no one's fucking business. Mm -hmm. And we will share the hard stuff all the time. But I do think to your point, there is a limit where one of us did something that we're not super proud of, or we made a decision that we really wish we hadn't. And that's really no one else's business. Mm. I, I, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned this and, and I hope it's okay to ask, but um, do you, did you guys, have you guys talked about on the show and uh, about, I, I'm, I'm curious about sex while pregnant. How do, how, how do you how do you keep sex? How do you keep sex? I, okay, I maybe this is a dumb way to phrase it. I shouldn't phrase it. This. I was gonna say, how do you keep sex sexy with a baby inside of you? But like for context, I'm I I think pregnancy is beautiful, but there are, but there are certain elements of pregnancy that kind of like kind of freak me out a little bit. And and the and the thought of a baby, the thought of a human inside of a human, fucks me up a little bit. And yeah. so like. So you think your dick is going to go in your baby's eye? And no, no, like not, not, no, no, none of that. I mean, that's silly. That's silly. But like, I think, I think this, this comes from like a, a trauma that I, and I, and I, and I, I do say trauma a bit lightly there, but like I was forced to watch alien when I was like five years old by a babysitter and it was, it was fucking awful. And the chest busting scene fucked me up, but it, you know, whatever. Now, now it is a 35 year old aliens, my favorite movie of all time. Okay. But, but there were still elements of that movie that were like, like the, just the thought of a living thing inside of a living thing. It's always been a could little bit. You could never get Jeremy to put his hand on someone's belly to never. feel the baby kick. Not never. Oh. No, no, I, I wouldn't even like, I can't even look at it. Like if I saw the, you know, like the, the like little lump sort of. He that used would, to I faint would, at the word fontanelle. I fucking can't. I can't. So <laughs> help me. Help me. Help me. Help you. Help me. <laughs> how can you <sighs> make, what's sex like when pregnant and like, how can you keep it sexy? If maybe someone's a little bit weird, oh fuck! I'm just digging. How do you keep here. it spicy? No, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm so proud of you for asking this question because I just don't think enough guys do ask the question, and I think more men and women are actually way more uncomfortable than we want to admit. And sometimes it's just not sexy, and that's okay. Like I just want to give everyone the permission slip. It just is weird. Like it's mm. fucking weird, and I thought it was going to be fine for us because we had talked about it a lot leading up to it. And we had friends that didn't have sex for like their whole pregnancy because the guys were just so weirded out. And we were like, Oh my God, that's so weird. Why would you do that? It's like not that big of a deal. And then we got, you know, six months in seven months in the baby's kicking, you know, Connor can feel it. You can see the like foot pushing out the side of my belly. Mm -hmm. I hope you don't faint while I'm saying this. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I can hear you breathing heavily. And um, <laughs> And he's just like, one night, you know, I wanted to have sex and he just looks at me. He's like, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. You know, my husband doesn't really do that. That's more my vibe. And I'm like, okay, what's up? And he's like, I am really uncomfortable with this and I don't know what to do. And I really don't want you to feel bad about your body. And I think you're so beautiful and you're so sexy, but you're carrying my baby and I am really having a hard time. And so we had this uh. amazing conversation. I was like, 
first of all, I'm so proud of you for being vulnerable and saying that. Mm. And also he was just really honest. He's like, it's not about you. It's not that because your body is different and your belly is big or, you know, whatever it is. He's like, it's just, my baby is in there and I don't Mm. really want my dick near a child. And I also just (laughs) kind of awkward because, you know, we're dealing with the Madonna horror complex. You know, Mm. I've always been like kind of slutty and, you know, he's fucking me from behind and talking dirty to me. And all of a sudden, like I am, you know, carrying his child and I am the mother of his child. Sorry. I think my camera's overheating. No, it's okay. Um, it sh- we, we don't use the video anyway, so if it shuts oh, okay. off again, just okay, don't cool. worry about it. Yeah, it's all good. Um, so, yeah, so we're having this conversation and I was like, I totally feel you. And I, I hadn't really, um, I hadn't really thought about it for myself, but as time went on, I started to be like, okay, like I am starting to feel this too. Like it, it mm. feels a little weird for me as well. I can feel the baby kicking while we're having sex and I don't know how to navigate that. And so we, we didn't really have sex. I mean, she was born January 4th. We didn't have sex starting mostly in November until right five or six weeks after she was born. And that's just what it was. And we were okay with it. And we had intimacy in other ways and we were, you know, really sweet to each other and showed up in, in all these other ways. And we were just like, this is just where we are and how we feel. And that's okay. Mm. Yeah. See that that's, so that's really interesting. I never thought about it that way about the, the, like, you know, going from like the, like, we like to have dirty, you know, raunchy sex. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you're the mother of my child. And like, there's like a, there's a disconnect there. That's really interesting. The thing that when I think about like where I, here's the thing. When I see a pregnant, when I see a, um, like a pregnant woman, you know, a lot of like, a lot of like our friends when they're pregnant, like they'll do those sort of like, they're kind of like like sexy like boudoir photos <laughs> with like their belly painted. Their belly, well, their belly out, and they're like, and they're like holding their breasts or whatever. And there's like a shawl just covering their shawl. like. I don't, I don't know. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about, though, right? Boys. Like, they're like they're these be- they're like these very beautiful photos of like their body while they're like while they're busting pregnant, like they're huge, and those are really I love the I those photos are beautiful, mm-hmm. and actually like there's something there's something that's kind of sexy about that for me. I really like I I don't I wouldn't be turned off from the 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 body of like uh, of a, of a pregnant woman when, when it's like time for sexy time. Yeah. The thing that fucks me up is thinking about it too much. So like an example of this is would I think this will help kind of help you help me, okay? How what kind of position do you go into? <laughs> you can right? get in like, any position. Cuz like okay, all right, well how about this? If you're super super ass pregnant and 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 you're laying on your back, isn't that baby going to like kind of suffocate your, your diaphragm or like if you're late, you can't lay on your, you can't lay on your belly. Right. Like you can be on all fours. Yeah. Right. I guess, I guess you can be on all fours. Yeah. That's okay. So that's the, like, that's the kind of like go to when pregnant doggy style. I guess that makes sense. It also feels great when you're menstruating. Right. Mm -hmm. That position I find. Yeah. I mean, you can pretty much be in any position. My husband was not like picking me up because I was much heavier, (laughs) you know, and that'd be weird um, with my huge belly. But yeah, we would lay like side lay. He would get behind me. I was on top. Um, We'd be on like the edge of the bed. I mean, yeah, we like pretty much everything goes, I would say. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess when I hear it said 
from someone who is just pregnant. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, right, of course. You're gonna have to trust. Uh, about it too much. You're gonna have to trust your partner too <laughs> yeah. to tell you the truth. You yeah. know, because yeah. if you're back there, all hesitant and freaked yeah. out the whole time, yeah, then some communication is gonna be important. Yeah, yeah. I think here's the thing you need to be more concerned about, and this is where things get really serious. Going down on your man while you're pregnant and nauseous may lead to oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. throwing up on his dick, which I did. Yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. okay with that? Having your dick thrown up on? I don't care. That I don't care. Yeah, I didn't yeah, think so. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. That's it's not gonna freak him out. That's not right. the kind of shit that's gonna freak him I, out. I, yeah. Well, you're you're cooler than my husband. I didn't even tell him when it happened. I just like swallowed it and kept going because I like really just wanted to be sexy oh, and hot no. again. I told him live on OK Babe the next day, and mortified. he was so bright red and mortified, <laughs> and it was the funniest thing ever. Oh my goodness! Was he mortified for you, or was he mortified that he had puke on his penis for a minute? Yeah. Both, <laughs> probably more for himself. Himself. Let me let's be serious. Um, how many uh, how many shows are in in the catalog over at uh at Soulfire Productions. Um we range anywhere from like 25 to 35 at a time. Cool. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What's um, the criteria for being a show on your network? Yeah. Yeah, so most people who come to us um they are using using their podcast um to get clients and funnel into their business. So a lot of them are coaches, um teachers, um, in whatever space, a lot of them, personal development, spirituality, sexuality. Um, we have a few doctors, um, in different areas, one of which is birthing instincts. They, you know, talk about alternative medicine within OB practices and home births and things like that. So it's very educational leading clients to whatever programs or services that you have. Um, so I would say that's a majority of our shows. We do have a few businesses that have shows as well that use it for, more internal educational purposes um, and very niche podcasts. So um, that's kind of like a wide range of what we offer um, in terms of like our clientele. And then we really want people who have a lot of strategy and marketing and a team behind them so that they have the support because what we have found is you know, when some someone comes to us and they're doing a podcast all by themselves and they don't have a strategy and they're not really sure what the point of it is and they don't have a team to help Ooh. them, it kind of it just gets lost in the shuffle. Um, and it's hard to grow a podcast. And so you need to be really clear about who your community is, what you're using it for, where you're funneling people to, um, how you're communicating all of that. And um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how we work and the different, the different shows that come to us. And then we also do strategy for shows. So if we're not doing full production for you, say you have a show and you need help from people in the podcast industry that understand the space that can guide you, that can give you feedback on your artwork, your audio, how you're communicating, who your audience is, where the holes are within your podcast and your business. And so we do strategy calls with them as well, um, just to give them feedback and guidance. And then they get access to our pod course. Um, which is basically everything we do for our shows condensed into a course so that Ooh. they can take it and either use it for themselves or give it to their team and just have the resources they need. Cool. That's super yeah. cool. If people are, uh, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, babe, that sounds like another podcast. I want to add to my uh, repertoire, add to my library. Where can they find you? Where can they find the work that you do? Where can they find Soul Fire Productions? Yeah. So I'm at Kelly T. Moore on Instagram. You can listen to OK Babe on every platform. Um, and then soulfryerproductionsco.com is our website. Amazing. Kelly, this has been really fun. Thanks for um, 
Thanks for just being an open book and, yeah. you know, and, and being so open to sharing with us your your experience with with IVF and, and pregnancy. And um, it's you know, this has been this, it's been really like helpful and wonderful for me. Yeah. And um, I think it's going to be really resourceful for our listeners. Yeah, as well. Yeah. This has been real, real fun. Thanks for taking time on your schedule to hang out with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.